Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Secrets of Scale series where we're talking to founders and CEOs who are, well, have built startups and companies to scale. So let's get on with this next incredible talent. So I'm very privileged to have with us on the line. Uh, his name is Stan Smith, and uh, he is the co founder, well, not, well, founder and CEO of gradientai.com. Stan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Stan, thank you for being here, man. There's, there's so much I want to talk to you about. I've had the privilege of getting to uh, to, to know a little bit about what you're about. So I'm uh, excited to connect my audience to you. Uh, but for the audience who doesn't know anything about Gradient AI, doesn't know anything about Stan Smith, why don't you paint us a picture? Give us a, a little bit about your background and the kind of origin story sure. to, to Gradient AI. Sure. So Matt, um, I, it turns out without knowing it, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is my sixth startup. Um, it's one of those diseases that you don't know what you have until somebody points it out to you. It just seems like the most fun, the most interesting place to be is new companies trying to find new ways to solve old problems. Um, so having done this a number of times before, I've never been in the insurance space before. So Gradient is focused on insurance. <clears throat> but Matt, I go after what I call business problems. I'm looking for companies that have a problem that affects their top line growth and or bottom line profitability, hopefully both. And if one company has that problem, that business problem, if I go to any other company in the industry, they have similar issues with that same kind of problem. So therefore, it's not a single company problem. It's an industry problem, therefore an opportunity. And it just it's something that's built into me. I've learned from really smart people I've worked for and worked with. Um, and I just I, it just it's, it's kind of gets me up every morning uh, so that I, I love what I do. And uh, so that's what brought me to Gradient and Gradient to look at the insurance space. Space, which is a massive market and a massive opportunity for the same kind of solving business problems for the clients. Yeah, for me, uh, insurance is always a grudge purchase. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone right. who loves insurance companies. I mean, uh, David Goggins, I don't know if you, you probably do know who he is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very good. So, you know, the world's hardest man. Uh, so, he was, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram or not, but he, yep. he put this. Uh, you probably saw it then he put out this uh, video yesterday i think or the day before and he was basically he's being sued by an insurance company forget this so you know he does these four by four by 48 events there's another one coming up right so you've yep. got to basically run or do something for four hours sorry is it four by four by 48 so yes yeah, so for two days four miles every four hours that's basically what it is so he does all these events very popular and yep. uh, at at the last event, someone, one of the people that were supporting him, was hit by a guy in a, driving a car, and uh, now he's being insured, sued rather, by the insurance company of the guy driving the car. So not the insurance company of the guy that got <laughs> hit. The guy. I mean, it's yep. a real messed up situation you know and, and we hear right. these things around uh, you know insurance companies and and it's in the u.s like i'm relatively new to the u.s like how complicated the health insurance space is and 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 and, yep. and we always hear these horror stories about it so uh, i'm glad you're coming in here trying to to really make a difference some way well so our my view of what we're trying to do for our clients is the only time you use a product called insurance is if you have a claim i mean so you pay begrudgingly but when you need it, you want it there. You want it to, to fulfill the, the, the need that you bought it for, whether it's car insurance, home insurance, <clears throat> accident insurance. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, if it doesn't, if it's not smooth or someone's suing you for some really strange reason, it, it flips it around. And most people, um, when I talk to my folks that I hire, like data scientists, when I first started the business, 
They're like, I don't want to work for insurance companies. I said, do you really understand what goes on with a claim? And they're like, no. I said, well, a claim tends to be in many lines of business. Someone's injured. And the insurance company is supposed to protect that injured person. So if we do our job right, you can get the right amount of care to the right person at the right time, and they're going to have a better outcome. If if you, if AI can help drive that a better outcome, the insurance company pays less, the person that's injured gets better care, and the results are less money spent. And the only people that ever lose in our scenario are the attorneys. They're suing people. And most most people don't care about those folks. So, And everybody stops and goes, okay. So you know, for us, in that case where that, some, that, that sounds like that's insurance companies, trying to sue uh, Goggins Insurance Company to subrogate a claim. They're trying to get the, the loss to go onto somebody else's balance sheet. And that that's that's they do that all the time to each other. But for the most part, if you have a loss, you want that product that you paid for that you never thought you'd use to instantly pay. And when that happens, people go, okay, now I get it. But and more and these insurance companies for the most part want to be good service providers. They want to be if you have hail damage in your house, you want to check in the mail the next day after the storm. Right. That's perfect, right? Before you even had a chance to pick up the phone, they've not only assessed the damage, but they've, 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 they've sent you a check to get the repair taken care of. And that's where the industry is trying to move to. And that's where AI comes in to help them move there. So it's, it's really, we're trying to make it just optimum res- results for, for the, for the cu- customer insurance, but also the insurance company trying to provide service to their customer. So what's their attitude when you come along as a, as a disruptor, quote unquote, to their sort of, operating model or their business model in some some cases where you have developed this capability this platform that enables these things faster claims more efficient x more top line revenue you know more bottom line profit you say that those sorts of things to any business person <laughs> with half a brain cell and they're all ears like cool yeah. dude like show me how that works <laughs> so how so does in it, any so, of the, yeah go ahead yes sir no, so in any industry and i've been in other industries what happens is when an industry realizes there's an opportunity Typically, where it starts is the biggest companies have the most uh, capital, the most resources. They'll start to build custom solutions in-house because they're the only people that can do it. So the largest, whether it was ERP that started off as MRP for manufacturing resource planning, CAD CAM industry, uh, CRM industry, what you see, a very consistent pattern of behavior. The largest companies built their own solutions when they recognize an opportunity to automate, to improve performance. Then when the rest of the market woke up and said, boy, I, that technology really helps them. I wish I could get at it. Somebody wakes up that's a commercial software startup person and says, well, if I build a copy of, if I build a software to do that, I can sell copies of that to many companies. And that's how SAP gets born in, in, in the, the ERP world. That's how Autodesk gets born in CAD CAM. That's how Salesforce got born in CRM. And hopefully that's how Gradient AI got born into the insurance world is that when the biggest folks build it themselves, the rest of the market is at a disadvantage if they don't find a way to start to either build it themselves. And some can do that at, at, at still at the sort of second tier, but the third and fourth tier, the smaller companies may not have the resource to do that. And that's where a company like myself comes in and starts to offer those companies an equalizer. And so it, it's not bad or worse. It's just, it becomes a table stakes. Every company in insurance now knows that AI is going to change the way they underwrite risk and they manage claims. And many, many of them are building it themselves because that's where these things always start. But as you watch sort of where the puck is headed, if you use the uh, Gretzky analogy, where the puck is headed, nobody wants to build these things themselves. They want to have the capability to leverage this technology in better underwriting, better claims management. And that's just a normal course of capitalism. You know, So insurance companies don't build all their core technology. They license from Guidewire and Duck Creek and other people because they used to build their own systems, but it took a long time and it cost too much. So now they buy off-the-shelf solutions. It's just normal. So 
it, it does disrupt people that might say I'm the person that built this for my big company. That person's career maybe they may feel less valued. That's not the case really, but that you can see it. But this is sort of just industries make these migration paths, and this is just the normal migration of an industry to a new technology. Yeah, I think uh, this whole talk around um, uh, AI, um, it, you know, it, it was kind of lip service for a long time. You know, uh, it was yeah. kind of like you know I've mentioned this before in the show for those of you who've been following, but you know, like I think like eight years ago there was this guy I was in, I was in the ad a big ad network at a time and. I went over to France and there was this guy up on stage in Cannes and he was, I can't remember his name, but he was like, look, take the next 10,000 startups and just add AI. Like that's what's coming. But he was so early, like eight, I mean, AI was still lip service, like before yeah. Thanksgiving <clears throat> 22, you know what I'm saying? And, and then chat GPT came along uh, for most of us, I'm saying. Uh, then ChatGPT came along and I was like, oh, shit, this is actually not just lip service anymore. This is actually something yep. that I can use. And I use it like right. religiously. Like I use it as it's my founder. It's my researcher. It's my copywriter. It's my, uh, you know, my creative partner. It can send, like basically I can't put a value on that. But prior to Thanksgiving, which is really not that too long ago, you know, even I was <laughs> one of those. Well, you know, is it really AI? Is it really? What's know? it doing for me? Yes. And, and now right. it's like everyone's got this AI like narrative, isn't it? When the sense of like, yep. and it's kind of like it's an integration with chat GPT and they say it's we're AI enabled. So it's kind of like, are you really uh, at the forefront of the implementation and design and development of AI? You know what I'm saying? And I think what's right. interesting talking to you, Stan, is that, you know, you can't, do underwriting <laughs> for a group insurance company that's doing billions a year if you're not at the forefront. You know what I'm saying? Right. Someone's so, going to get someone's gonna get there with a better price or smarter price, I should say. Yes. Uh, whether it's a higher price is the right price. And if you underprice and, and take that risk. Insurance is one of those rare industries that you can win by losing. If you can actually not write the bad business and let your competitor take that, you win. Because they're going to get you know, a million dollar policy, but they might lose $5 million on that policy. So it's a really interesting, it's one of the things I love about the industry is that you can, again, win by losing. And if you write the right business and don't write the the, the, the correct business not to write, you, you win. Your losses go down and your competitors get hurt. And if you do this consistently, you can basically put your competitors in, in tough financial situations long-term. And that's why this is not a it's 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 not a passing fancy. This is something that if everybody else is doing it, and they get get an advantage over you. You have to respond, or financially, it's gonna it's gonna slowly you know hurt your 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 balance sheet. So it's 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 unique to the insurance industry from that perspective. So because in other industries, if you just ignore technology, sometimes it doesn't have that immediate effect on. It. But here, it, it can. Hmm. What what has your experience been engaging with these? I, I like. With um, you know, trying to use an analogy that paints this context for this next question, yep. and it, which is this one, which goes, dinosaurs really can't climb trees. You know, like I did, <laughs> I used to do a lot of innovation consulting when you know Uber happened, and then it was like, oh shit, we got to yeah. innovate. You know, and <clears throat> you got like, Uber oh, eyes. Yes, yeah, we got to yeah. disrupt ourselves before someone comes along and disrupts. You know, <laughs> yeah. disrupts us for ourselves. So, um, right. and what I learned was um, was that. In big mature stage companies that have been around for 40 years selling insurance, group insurance companies as an example, mm -hmm. they like to talk about innovation. But when it actually comes to innovating, 
the inertia kills the innovation in and yep. of itself really quickly. Have you found that? So, Matt, one of my observations, if you notice, I have a lot of gray hair. So I've seen a lot of these things for, in other industries. And one of my most uh, uh, simple observations that is held true in every industry every time is that large, mature markets and, and, and more importantly, large, mature companies in those markets that are dominant players, they react very slowly to opportunities and innovations, but they will act very decisively when uh, against risk and threats. And so what, what has happened when new innovations come in and it's kind of cool, a lot of those companies, you want to, I wouldn't refer to them as dinosaurs, but the more mature companies, they look at that and say, well, that's cool, but what would it do for us? And I'm not really sure. Do we really need it? And those kinds, that's just, a not, you know, it's, there's a whole book, you know, Innovator's Dilemma, you kind of read all these things about this. But when it's a threat, when those guys, you know, we just, our, our profitability is going down and our, our top line is going down and they're out selecting us and they're outrighting us and they're doing more things than we can do. And we're seeing the actual impact to our business. You will see these companies who have been slow to adopt new and innovative ideas turn on a dime. Why? Because that's when they rally around and can say, okay, we've got to get moving on this stuff. And so I think what we've seen, I've been doing this. I started this business in a company called Milliman, a big actual consulting firm in 2014. And most of the time I had my meetings with people, they'd say, would you explain what AI is? We're not like, what did I do with it or how I could use it? They didn't, they weren't even that far. And so the first few years, it was really a lot of just purely just explaining to what, what it meant, what machine learning means, giving them examples so they could just sort of in, internalize it, understand it. Until other companies started using it and they started getting pushed down in certain circumstances or feeling the pressure, that's when they started saying, okay, I, I've got not only to learn about it, I've got to learn by doing it. And you start seeing some companies trying to deploy or build their own. And, and so, again, a natural evolution through that cycle with humans who a lot of the senior executives of these firms have been there for 20, 30 years, and they've had a very successful career doing something that's very traditional. And and it, they were rewarded with promotions to chief underwriting officers, chief claim officers, CEO, CFO. So what they did in the past wasn't wrong. What they want to do in the future, though, it might be different. And again, it's just it's getting the motivation when when they're threatened by that competitive threat that you'll see these companies will start to act and act decisively. And, I, and we see that in the industry. You know, again, eight years ago, people were t- asking questions about it. They had no intention of doing anything about it. Uh, a few years after that, a few people started to adopt. But I think now everybody's using AI. It's just a question of how much, when and where. And over time, the question is ultimately going to be, do they build it themselves? Do they license it? You know, and, and those are more the kind of questions I'm excited about. Yeah, and it's very interesting, isn't it, in the sense of like what humans respond to. And I always used to talk about the dream and the nightmare or the carrot, the carrot and the stick, you know, and yeah. depending on who you're talking to, for instance, if you're talking to a sales guy, they're motivated by the 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 carrot. But if you in general, uh, but if you talk to a marketing uh, person or let's just say somebody in risk, it's always the stick. It's like, well, you know. <laughs> here Here's comes regulation right. here comes compliance right. you know and the C-suite right. also by the way it's, it's more like the stick than the opportunity I don't know I've just found that to be the case because you know if you and it's almost like you have to build a product and then you have to paint the context around it to the right person so that they they understand why they should move on it now and not ignore it until the problem today is you know only addressed six months or a year or maybe not at all down the line you know, I think when you get to that level, especially in big companies, you know the the the, the opportunities can can move around a lot. But you have your your organizational structure, sales teams, business development teams to handle that, so you're you're aware of it. 
but you're looking at the macro level. You're looking at the aggregate. Our, our top line, is it growing? That's good. So I feel like that we've got that. And sure, there's things happen underneath. Maybe they're winning more or less against a certain competitor. A couple of salespeople are, are, are worried about it, but it's not filtering to the top. So they're still, the ship's headed in the right direction. The speed's right. You know, all this stuff is going right. So then they're worried more about what could go wrong. Could their engine break down? Could we have some regulatory issues? <clears throat> it's, it's reasonable, but it has to become, the threat has to become very clear and very apparent. Uh, to, and it has to break through a lot of layers before people at the top will say, that's a real threat on the horizon. We have to really think about that and move resources and possibly spend le- spend money and have less profit to, you know, to, to thwart that threat. So, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's a combination of organizational structure, organizational behavior, as well as individual experiences. Um, and, and your experience becomes your bias. That's, it's one of the things we see with our clients and ourselves. And, and AI is one of those things you can see some bias in the data, of how people behave in certain market segments. But ultimately, you know, the, 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 if clients are really thinking about this, companies are really thinking about this, they're always on the lookout for both those opportunities and those threats. But I, I guarantee you the bigger ones, the more mature ones, really put a lot more effort behind the threats than they do the opportunities. And on that bombshell, we're going to take a quick break. The Matt Brown Show is presented by Carafin, an investment bank that offers and supports direct private investments in U.S. operating companies. Over the past 20 years, investors have placed over $1.2 billion of private debt and equity in more than 100 companies through Carafin and its affiliates. Carafin leverages technology to empower its community of investors to deploy their capital far more efficiently than ever before and connects their community of engaged investors with worthy companies. Invest portions of your portfolio in direct private investments today. Visit carafin.com forward slash Matt Brown Show for more. And we're back. Uh, Stan, very curious. You guys have raised uh, th- around 30-odd million, according to Crunchbase anyway. Yep. Um, yep. What what role has that played in your ability to scale? Because I'm, I'm thinking about that question in the context of you're dealing with sure. group insurance companies. Do you know what I mean? So how yep. many of them are there? and Or, or was it a case of, did you put, take that kind of capital and build more, you know, hire more data scientists or more engineers to develop more capability around the platform itself? So what? What? That's the context for it. So what? The question is, sure. what? What, uh, what role has that amount of funding played in your ability to scale? Great question, Matt. So <clears throat> when we we went through a seed round, we, we raised seed round when we spun out of Milliman to just be able to be standalone and hire enough people to kind of accelerate the business. Because I think in Milliman we had limited access to capital because that's their business model is not investing in businesses. They just, they, they, that's not their business model, but venture capital, that is exactly the business model. So the seed round, which was a couple million dollars, allowed us to hire a few more people that accelerate. We were just in one line at the time called workers comp. We raised an A round uh, about a year and a half later, which is $6 million and it's all public. So, um, and that allowed us to expand lines. So not only were we doing the, the underwriting claims for work comp, we started doing underwriting claims for other commercial lines. And that's also when we landed or decided to expand into group benefits. So that was the A round was more expansion of products and expansion of product footprints. You know, we knew how to do, if you've ever re- read the book, Crossing the Chasm, yeah. you, know, you sort of attack a big market. The, the the niche market we went after was work comp, very complex, a lot of unique characteristics, but we got, we were able to do that very well. So moving into other commercial lines for both underwriting and claims, similar to what we've done in, in work comp, they're different, but it, we had some of that muscle memory from doing that. And the A round helped us expand and then moving to underwriting for group benefits, which again, use a lot of the same data as we see 
on the uh, on the uh, um, or injury codes or, or injury claims in in the PNC side. The B round where we raised twenty million dollars was really to build out the infrastructure of the company. So you, you, we had to have the products to, to scale, but we actually needed the people to scale. So that helped us hire up then more of the engineering team and sales team, bring in a, a world class CRO, CTO, CMO. And what we've seen is our growth was 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 very strong in the in the previous years. It's accelerated since we've done the B round where we put the right team together so we could actually have span of control, bring everybody together, a better alignment across the, the company and move in a more uniform, you know, unified way. And it's 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 in our top line. Our top line, we had the best year ever in 22 per percentage-wise growth. And it was really because we had the team that could now, we could all get together and say, here's where we're going. And we all could go in the same direction before, you know, is me and a bunch of really great people. But it, it was, you know, it, you know, I was out traveling a lot because I was also doing all the business development and they were inside doing their best, but I wasn't always there to answer questions. And so it's just, you know, we did our best, but it, you can just see as you start to get that scale, you've got to put the critical resources in the right places so that you get alignment and you get execution. And by the way, Matt, I would say that <clears throat> of all the things you think about, and there's all all these flavors of strategy and um, all the fun things you talk about, you know, people don't pay attention to that term execution enough. You know, execution, can you can you set in mind and set motion <clears throat> to do one thing and get it done? And then tr- two things and get those both done? Because scale is the ability to, to, to get one thing done and then repeat and, and repeat more and then spread that out and do it across, you know, not just, you know, the five people, but across 50 people or 100 people or 500 people. And, and that's that challenges you every step of the way as you get bigger. That challenge is always there. So you always remind yourself, OK, we're, we're here. We've got to get things done and measure your ex- ability to execute and also you know, look at ways to improve that execution because it never, you know, it never stops. The need to continue to be uh, good with what you've got and, and utilize your resources uh, never gets um, never goes away. In fact, in this environment. I'll tell you that companies are the, the investors are looking for even more efficiency from companies like ours because they want to you know grow faster with less capital and and that's if you don't have the ability to execute well you're going to be sloppy you're going to have a lot of you know you're going to try a lot of products most you know most won't actually succeed and that's wasted effort wasted capital wasted cost and, and, and wasted time and and time is also super critical for startups like us. Yeah, time is our most valuable resource, isn't it? I mean, what yes. I'm hearing though, yeah. it's really interesting. It's come up a few times where you almost need to replace your team as you get to different stages. You know, like when you're a seed stage, you have a founding team, you get to a certain size, and then you get middle management, say, because you can't afford like, you know, 200, 300,000 years CTO just yep. yet. So you get middle management yep. resources. Um, and then, you know, then you build that, but then your original founding team, they don't like that. They don't want to report to, to middle management anymore. And they're like, no, no, we want this to go back to the way that it was, you know, uh, the way that is a fun startup culture and so forth. And now there's structures and reporting and processes and stuff. And then you get the layer on top of that. And then it's, and then suddenly it's like, it just becomes this like group cut and then replace, cut higher, replace, cut higher, replace. And so you get to a point where you guys are, where you, to your investors at least anyway, um, they're looking for a team that they can get uh, or onboarded, I suppose, to really help you know, gradient AI in this case, scale to a place where it can have its best year ever in 2022. That's true. I, th- I think, first of all, I, I had a, uh, a boss that was great and his goal was to have everybody doing something different. After If they did their job for two years and did it well, they should see see the opportunity to do something different if they want to. So they can, you know, so always something fresh. So there's a, there should be change underneath, even though you, they're part of the founding team, if they want to be part of the bigger company, there might be other opportunities for them in growth. And we've seen a lot of that. It's been, you know, when you're a growing company, 
lot of people started as individual contributors and some job have have been promoted. And to me, that's one of the best parts about this kind of environment. The other thing, though, I think if you run the company with a lot of transparency, you know, here's why we're doing this and here's what it means for you and for the company. Yeah, there's more management structure, but everybody understands exactly what it's there for. They understand, you know, that it's not a mystery. If you're not giving people uh, a lot of information, they're just going to assume it's it's hierarchy and it's bureaucracy and this other stuff. And one of the things I fight all the time with the team is that we don't do that. So, for example, we just had our, our all-hands meeting because it's so, so virtual. We actually had the entire company come in to Boston last week. And one of the things we do once a quarter after we have a board, a board meeting, we give the, the entire company the same slides we gave the board. Now, not in certain information, financial information, things like that is not there. We take the exact slides we present to our board of directors and we give it to the team. We say, guys, this is proprietary information to the company, but we're making sure we trust all of you and you're responsible people. So here's what we told the board. Not, not some subset, not, well, here's, you know, the board's happy or whatever. No, no, here's the information. So now you're an adult, you're part of this team, you're, you own options or your own equity in this company. This is where we are. This is what we're doing. You know, this is the good stuff. And here's where we've got some weaknesses that we want to overcome. And I think if they feel like they're being told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so to speak, you know, getting big is not a, a bad thing. We They see us moving faster. They see us win a lot of deals. Um, they see, you know, they, the marketing stuff is coming out with a lot of customer wins. And they, and people kind of get that, that they get, you know, they get excited. And uh, I had one of our younger to me, one of the younger guys, but he's been there, I think, about four years, came up to me as part of the this this all hands thing. I said, Stan, I'm one of the old guard here now. I'm, I'm looking at him. He's, I don't know how old he is, probably under 30. I'm like looking at him going, wow, that's pretty funny that you think that. But he felt that he was, he's, he's proud of it, right? He's been here a long time. He's done great work. Um, but he's also seen the growth. He's probably, when we were probably less than 20 people, and now we're over 100. So he's just, it's just, uh, again, I've been part of companies that, that grew differently and grew ways that I didn't care for. So it's either do it differently and do it the, you, the way you think is right or repeat those mistakes. And I, and I think I, my admonition to anybody who's build, building a business is you got to make a decision at the very beginning. Are you going to be transparent and sometimes share stuff that won't be the best news because it may not be good that you're winning or losing deals all the time and you don't win everything. But you got to make that commitment, make that decision and live by it. And I think if you live by it, it, it works out for you. There, everybody's an adult. There's there's always some some bad moments in sports. Um, nobody wins every game, but it's, if they think you're on a winning team, they stick with it. They fight and they fight harder because they they know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things I wanted to uh, touch on. The first thing is um, is leadership because it seems to me that you know you 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 as the leader need to also grow. You know what I'm saying? So like, especially if you're like a first time founder, maybe you've done three startups. Like I've done 14 for my sins. I must've done something wrong in a previous life. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I like, I found like pressure creates diamonds is that saying, isn't it? And so pressure yep. as you start to scale, it's like, shit, I, you know, I don't have these small survival problems anymore. I've got scale problems now. Uh, one right. of those is like, I need to hire a, a, like a like a, a gang, like a crack squad of amazing people that can take this thing right. to 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 the next level for you know t- to meet my expectations of myself. But sometimes you find in that journey you pushed into a space that you you were like, holy shit, like this is not what I expected whatsoever, you know. And you struggle and you suffer and you have sleepless nights and uh, all this kind of stuff. And so it's pressure, and so it creates it forces you to become something that you weren't the day before. And so 
Uh, so Stan, in what way have you grown as a leader in the context of scaling gradient AI? What would you hang your hat on? Well, so I think it's a, it's a compilation. I mean, you're talking about it too. I'm, you know, um, I'm reflecting back. I just gave a review to somebody that, that works for me just uh, yesterday. Um, and I got some nice compliments and I would tell you that I wouldn't have gotten those compliments previous jobs, uh, before. So, and I actually talked to this person about it because I, um, you know, I think I would have been, uh, harder and, 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 and less patient, uh, when I was younger, um, because I thought that was the way to get more out of people faster. Uh, and I, what I think I've learned, um, and I think I've applied here is just to be a lot more, uh, you know, first of all, make sure they understand that I understand what's going on and then, you know, make sure that when I suggest what we need to do, it's not a, you know, I think the, the power is comes from two things, authority or influence. Authority is like, if I'm your boss, I can make you do whatever I want. And you don't have to do it. You can just quit. But influence is more powerful. If I can give you the reasons why I think something needs to get done and you agree, and that means you internalize it, you're, you're going to go get it done. And I think that the kind, that kind of understanding in myself and operating that way makes me more effective um, and, and one of the things I tell everybody, and I, I always, if I tell anybody this, I always have to tell myself the same thing. If you're not coachable, you've, you've already hit your peak. You're never going to go beyond what you are today. And I even tell that to my board, who are my bosses, that I need, you know, I I need to be the most coachable CEO they've got. And if I'm not, they need to bring it to my attention and 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 make me aware of it because I think that's that's how we all grow. Um, and you're also, you know, you, as you grow, if those times where you're like, oh, geez, what, what do I got to do? I always think about all of us. In what's our highest and best use? How how can we do the best for whatever organization we're part of? And sometimes, you know, if the job that you that is in front of you isn't going to be the highest and best use for for the, for yourself, maybe that's not the right job, or maybe a part of it is the right job for you, and you need to either you know discuss with people if, if you can take a piece of that job or whatever. But it's something I think about all the time because as you go from ten people to hundred people to hopefully a thousand people, you know, there's certain skill sets I have. And at some point, I may want to do a different set of things that, I, that I'm doing today. Um, and and you, you figure out some organizational ways around that. But, um, you know, it, it's a it's a sobering moment when you ask questions like that, Matt, because I'm, I'm, I think it is a, it's a constant of how do you get better every day? And, and I, I live my life of just trying to be better. I'm sure my kids would say, I don't believe that, Dad. But um, mm-hmm. hopefully some of the people I work with do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the parallels are are very acute for me you know there's a couple of things here one is your two last points around kids it's like i always lose if i raise my voice to my children right um or every single time like i'm the dick even if they even if they were 100 percent in the wrong in the black i'm the dick i lose um and and so just like raising a child because there's no rule book for it right you don't get you don't wake up as dad of the year (laughs) right right. because you're a dad you know and it's the same you don't wake up as entrepreneur of the year just because you're an entrepreneur you know what i'm saying Uh, unless you pay for it by the way that also happens (laughs) (laughs) which we don't do but you're right you can buy a lot of those awards yeah yeah, yeah, I'm in the t- Inc. 5,000 fastest growing company. Exactly. Who cares, dude? Yeah. No one cares, yeah. bro. Really, no right. one cares. 300 bucks. There you are. If they've yeah. been around right. the block more than once, you probably pay yeah. for that. Uh, it's how right. they make money. Right. Did you know, right. side notes, you can also be paid to become a New York Times bestselling author. Like that's basically everything's oh. for rent or for sale now. Yeah. Um, anyway, going right. back to leadership styles. So I used to be famous uh, for the hairdryer treatments. 
So it's a thing. I don't know if you know um, Alexander. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's his name? The, the former coach of Manchester United, Alex Ferguson. Sorry, my middle okay. name is Alexander's. Alex Ferguson. <coughs> he was famous for the hair dry treatments at half time. So when Manchester United were down or they weren't playing right, he would just launch into a tirade at David Beckham or you know Ryan yep. Giggs or something like that. Anyway, so that's where it came from. But it, 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 I found also it, it served a point to a point. And also, as the business got bigger, it didn't work. It wasn't a good leadership style. And so what, right. I, what I learned was that your leadership style actually has to change because you, 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 you're dealing with different people. You know, it's not like some kid out of university who just needs pressure to figure out, like, what, which way is north. <laughs> you know, if right. you're dealing with a, right. the senior CTO – like this person has an ego, they've experienced and they expect to be treated in a certain way. So you can't just launch at them because they dropped a ball or what have you. You know what I mean? So you do have right. to grow as an individual in terms of your leadership style. And, and because um, it is all about leadership, you know, and, and, this, and I had um, Leif Babin on the show as a Navy SEAL. And he said to me, uh, you know, uh, leadership in the military is not about barking orders it's a which is what you would you know if you're not in the military you would expect that but it's about right. service provision so you if you the best leaders provides a service to their leaders it's not them working for you it's you working for them and i found that if right. you go into that mindset that's how you create great businesses you know there's a great book called leaders eat last and it, it, it started with it in the marine corps i think it's it's almost i don't think it's a rule but it's kind of a the uh, culture where you know it, in in the fronts when they're they're out in the in the battlefields when the when the troops come in to feed the the leaders do eat last they get make sure their their soldiers are taken care of they get what they need those people to get taken care of first and, and they're seen doing that and i think if you have that mindset that you know the team comes first it's the goal of what the team can accomplish that you're there to try and help them accomplish um you know and i say this to my folks on the, on the team all the time you know if we have a good outcome as a company if every one of them does well i'll be fine and, and, and if I measure it that way, then they know that I'm concerned about their well-being because mine, mine will follow theirs. If I spend my time telling them how I'm trying to make all the money and get, get all the, the wealth and I don't care about them, they're going to get that picture too. And they don't – why would they want to work for somebody like that? I wouldn't. So um, Yeah, exactly. Which is but weird. also so my, my – <laughs> yeah. So my, my favorite memories are the companies that have had success and running the people you know, who had greater success than they ever anticipated – and, and they're, you know, my favorite story is a guy that I tried to hire for a long time as a salesperson. He was great. I knew he was great. I wanted him badly. It took a long time to get him. He finally took the job, was phenomenal and, and made a lot of money. We took a company public and I ran into an airport years later and I shot, put out my hand to shake his hand. He, he said, I'm not shaking your hand. Give me a big hug. And, and he, he said, I, I changed his life. So those, those are the moments of sports that, that, that matter the most to, to me. Sure. That's incredible, man. And on that bombshell, we're going to take a quick break. All right. Scale your business with your own AI-powered digital marketing assistant. Sign up today and get $250 of your first month's ad spend back. Check out meetotis.com forward slash rapid returns for more. Raising money for your startup? Well, why don't you close your next funding round fast? Get investor-focused media and FaceTime with relevant investors in days. Visit showworksmedia.com for more. That's show works with an X media.com. Stan, um, I've learned as businesses get bigger, sometimes your problems also get bigger. So 
my question is, especially, dude, like when you take on 30, 30 bar, 30 million, to, <laughs> to, yep. there's different kinds of problems here, guys. Um, yep. So um, what are you struggling with right now uh, in the context of scale? Like what comes to mind for you? Is there something that's keeping you up at night? Well, so, you know, to that point, Matt, you know, when you start out as a company with zero revenue, the first dollar you get is the hardest dollar you're ever going to get. And then you start getting the first dollar. So getting the first million dollars seems like the hardest thing in the world. You get there, then getting the five seems like, and so it's, it's a continuation of the next milestone. Um, you're also going from, but at the stage we're at, um, we're, we, we start off going, you know, the, the, the goal was more customers for one product. And of course there's more products. And now it's, it's more customers for those products. But now we start thinking about markets and market segments. Um, because when you, if, you tr- if you're going fast and we're going very quickly, you stop you know, going from year one to year two. How many more customers is that to get to your, your growth goals? Now, it's almost like a, a friend of mine once said, I have to go find a whole other company. It took me you know, four years to get to this point. If I want to double next year, I have to find all the business it took me four years to build in one year. So, and, and so it, it, the scale... Is it? Think about that. You have to keep if you as long as you double. That means in one year you've got to grow as much as it took you four, five, six years to grow, and that puts it kind of in perspective for me. Which is you've got to make sure you've picked the right markets, you've built the right products, you've done enough lead time. Um, and so what does change a lot is as you as as those challenges change. You know you're building products a quarter or two before you release them in the early days, and now we're might we're, we're scoping markets and products a year in advance of going into those markets with those products. Why? We need that amount of time to make sure we scope it right, that we build the right product, that it's the right size market. We know the entry point. Um, and so it's really, it becomes more planning, more analysis earlier because uh, when you launch it, you launch fewer products. So they've got to be successful. And and you have enough, you know, in your incubation process, you know, they're not, not all going to be successful. So you know some of the early, early, you know, fatalities and you just drop them off but but you've got to be really good at this um because you've got to feed the beast when the beast needs growth and that's what that's why you raise the capital the way we do uh, sort of ahead of the growth and that's why you're investing you know year in year one for revenues in years twos through threes and fours so like for example we launched our uh, group health products in 20 uh in 2020 yeah when the pandemic was going on when we slow we slow rolled it because we didn't have a lot of resources and because we were trying to be very careful because nobody knew how bad it was going to be but that business, once we got up and running, has been tripling every year. So it's been fantastic. But we spent a, a lot of time scoping it out. How are we going to design it? Um, talking to a lot of customers. What What are the needs they have? Are those needs being met with, with what's in the market? And those kinds of things. So it, it's just, I think the, the way the challenges change, because in a year or two, we're going to be thinking differently about the business again. And the way we have to go about getting to the next level will be different than it is today. And I, again, one of my mantras with the team is what got us here won't get us there. And that's going to be a constant statement I can make throughout the life of the company. It's just always going to be how you reinvent what you're doing and how you do it so that you can get to the next level. Yeah, it's a it's a really there's so much so much good insights into that. I found, you know, there's this whole doctrine, right? So like if you're a startup, you have to pivot and pivot your way to because you know, I had Steve Blank on the show. By the way, Jeffrey Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasms, also been on the show. Basically, I've spoken to all these guys who are like leading the doctrine think tank yep. type yep. stuff, right? The paradigm of here's a startup and how do you scale? And right. um and and what I've and this idea of pivoting. It's so interesting because what you've done in your last answer there, Stan, was you you said you look at a market a year in advance to decide whether or not it's actually worth going into at all. I don't think that that 
that visionary type of approach is used as much as it should be in the context of scaling a startup because in so especially in the early stages when you're at like seed maybe series a where you just try still trying to figure out well who the, who the hell is your actual customer you know like right. is it a non-profit is it a SaaS company is it a startup is it an investment firm you know and so you you, you start to oh it could be this could be this could be this and so you start to yeah. starve an indigestion when you should be uh, you know looking at things and saying no no it's not a label dude right? It's a market. So when you say startup, like you must know, like I know that there's 12 and a half thousand uh, startups in the US that have raised a million dollars in the last 12 months. That's a mark. That's knowing that that, that is yeah. a mar- not a startup. Because <laughs> by yeah. the way, right. it, you know, in the whole of Africa, there's only a hundred. You know what I mean? Wow. So, and this okay. is, this is the, the perspective, isn't it? Yeah. It's about saying, right. Right. Really know what you're getting into in terms of your business because I've also found, Stan, I don't know if you um, would agree with this next statement, which is there's the business that you are today, but there's the one that you're becoming. Right. They're different things oftentimes. Always, Always. yeah. I, what I've learned is watching some people have those needs to pivot, and it's not that nobody, you know, pivot by definition, markets change. So you could, you know, you could be in a great market doing great, but the market changes and you have to pivot because the market's gone, that market's gone away. That's happened to me once in my career where the B2B exchanges, everybody's giving money to these B2B exchanges to sell products more efficiently. You want to buy rubber, you went to the rubber exchange, you want to buy, you know, metals, you went to the metals exchange because they thought there'd be more, more transparency, lower uh, friction. And then nobody transacted there. So after billions of dollars were invested, the whole market overnight just went away. And we were selling services to those market to, to that those entities, so our market went away. But we, we so we pivoted the company. So it does happen. But I, I find that one of the ways to avoid pivots is number one: don't sell, any, don't build a product unless you've already pre-sold. In other words, and that's one of our guiding principles. And that means we go to companies and tell them what we think we're going to build, why we think we're a good company to build it, and are they an early adopter that wants to work with us to build that out? And if we can't get someone to buy off on that, it's probably not a product we want to build. That keeps you from going after some of those what I call false positive. You know, having one customer buy one thing from you and then try and sell it to everybody else, and nobody else wants it. That that delivers lots of pivots, right? You know, and the other one is start with a product and then go find a, a market for it. That one always has pivots. Um, so it's just, and I'm not a technical guy, so I don't tend to start with the product first. So my my weakness, hopefully, has benefited me that way. But I would also be, you know, just people get really excited about stuff they think is really cool. And I know a lot of really smart technical people. They come up with really cool ideas. I just constantly look at them and I go, well, who's going to buy that? And and that's usually where the coolness drops off. They kind of go, well, I don't know. <laughs> but it's cool. Like, yeah, sure it is. Right. <laughs> yeah, good good, good advice. I hope everyone's writing shit down. Um, so I want to have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, advice. Bad advice is the worst thing you can have in your life as a, as a founder entrepreneur, I find it's oh, like, yeah. it's, yeah. it's uh, who, I was talking to uh, Devin Johnson yesterday. He's built this company called connected also a tool. You should look at your sales team potentially. Um, but he was saying like, uh, he was saying the similar thing, like um, the, there's these formulas, right? So you'll see something on LinkedIn and it's like, there's three steps to do X, you know, and then right. you apply the three steps and they don't work. You know what I mean, and so we we see these formulas, we see these ideas, and we and we want to yep. with these there's these pieces of advice, and we want to latch onto them because we need hope that this would work. You know what I'm saying? And and oftentimes we don't we stop thinking for ourselves. You know what I mean? Like it might yeah. work for you, Stan, but it's not going to work for me. Do you know what I mean? Well, 
but, but entrepreneurs are optimists. So I think the other side of this is we also always have that belief that we'll go, that, okay, you don't like it, Matt. I'm going to go find somebody else that does and we move on. As opposed to flipping around and saying, why did I get nine no's out of 10 people I talked to? Should I have asked those nine people what they needed instead? And instead of aiming for the one person who said yes, what if, what if there's something that I should have just asked a different question? I would have nine yeses out of 10, and now there might be a business here. So there's just sometimes I think it's, it's you're, you're, you know, I, I have, a, again, some terminology that we've used, which is fast, fast failure. Go out and talk to people about this stuff. Look for people. You know, give them the opportunity to say no to us. That's a bad idea. Why? Because people, even when you're talking to them, they, they, they're, most people want to be helpful. Well, sure, Matt. I, you know, so you want to uh, hats with feathers in them. Okay, I could see how that might work. You know, they want to be nice to you as opposed to saying, saying, hey, Stan, would you ever buy a hat with a feather? No. Okay. Well, then I'm not going to make, make hats with feathers, right? It's just, you know, go out there with the idea that if I can make sure this is a bad idea, I won't do it. But if people kind of say, well, geez, I've always wanted a feather for my hat. Oh, well, hmm, okay. Maybe it's better than I thought. So there, there's just, but I've seen, we see, I see time and time again and again in this environment we have out there where I think the venture folks are pulling back. You're starting to see a lot of companies starting to say, well, geez, where am I going to go? Should I be bought? Should I sell myself? Um, you, you can see in their, in their traction, they've had a number of products sold. But like, if you ask them how many times they sold any one of their products, they've only sold, you know, each product a few times, even though they've got 30 customers, but they really have 10 products they've sold three times. And that is that a company? Or is it still an incubator? You know, so you've got to look at these things. And, and as an entrepreneur, you've got to ask, what are you trying to build in a company? And, and, and have some discipline to say, okay, if it's not something in this range, I won't do it. But again, if it turns out you can't find anything in that range, be, be realistic and say, okay, I, I might be looking at the wrong thing for the wrong reason and back up. And by the way, I started this company. I thought we'd build out a, a benchmarking sort of a clearinghouse of data so I could get a lot of data and share insights of the data with a lot of companies. And everybody I talked to said two things. I'd love that product and insurance, number one, but I won't give you my data. I was like, okay, well, how am I going to start this business without any data? So, But I did that purely, consistently for 90 days. And I said, okay, that's not going to work. So I flipped it around and said, okay, if I built models for you to help you make better decisions for underwriting claims management, would you give me your data for that? And they said, sure. Went, All right. <laughs> Off we went. That's amazing. Listen, uh, Stan, I want to have a quick bit of fun with you. So I'm going to give you the keys to the Mountain okay. Show uh, time machine. Uh-oh. And I'd love for you to go back to yourself on day one, so circa 2018. So you guys have done amazing things in a very short yep. period of time. But if you could give yourself one piece of advice about scaling Gradient AI, what would that be? Wow. There's so many things I would think about, Matt. Um, You know, I think, honestly, I would have gone faster than we did. So, you know, I think most of my mistakes in my life, in my career, I think I, I probably spent more time, maybe more time planning and assessing than I did, you know, and then hopefully try to execute more, you know, more consistent results. But I think we've been fortunate to have a lot of good decisions that, that worked out well. So if I look at those decisions, the only thing that we should have done is made them faster and made more of them. So that would be... And I think we'd be further along. I, you know, we, we actually did an analysis of, of, because of the 2020 pandemic, we slowed down the rollout of the group benefits I mentioned before by two quarters. That was the right thing to do given the circumstances. So I'm not arguing that. But we can look back now and say if we launched that product on the regional timeframe, two quarters ahead, we know how much more that would have, that would have delivered another 20% revenue in 22. So we had a great year. It would have been even greater. So it's just those, So I can go back and look at these things now retrospectively and look at that decision to slow down. And say, but if I'd still push through that, we would have done better. 
speaking of uh, slowing down or is it speeding up, you're heading to uh, my country, South Africa, soon uh, to do the <laughs> oh, hardest no. yes. endurance mountain bike race in the world. <laughs> That's no spice. That's a legit fact. So it's called the Cape Epic. Um, so yes. are you – well, firstly, why are you doing it? <laughs> and uh, you must be super excited about it too. I think why do it? I just I, – there's a, I have a broken – screw somewhere in the head. I think uh, it turns out I like hard stuff. And I like to just, I think all these working at a startup or these, these hard events, it's a, it's a mental challenge. Can you overcome the physical hurt be, by being tough enough mentally? And in, in, in startups, there's a lot of stuff going on every day, great stuff, sometimes tough stuff. Can you fight through all that stuff? And so I think there's a parallel there. And also if it's not really hard, it doesn't scare me enough to get up early in the morning and do the workout that I need to do to get ready for these things. So uh, it just, it's the way I'm wired. Um, I'm ex- I can't tell you how excited I am. It's been on my bucket list for a long time. It's a team sport, two, two guys, a guy I've done a lot of really crazy races with before. We're doing it together. Uh, it's, I, I hope it's the best experience we ever have. And it might be the last one of these things I ever want to do. But, uh, but I, you know, it's always been out there. It is considered the hardest mountain bike race in the world. And it's just one of those things we've always said, could we do this? Okay, yeah, so let's stop asking. Let's start doing it. Yeah, man. Well, I'm amazed you find the time to do what you do and then do this. You must have a great team behind you. Because <laughs> it's do. like I the, commit, the time commitment to do this is, is next level. So just to put it in perspective for everyone, I need to actually do a conversion here from my new kilometers and miles. So let's see. Oh, yeah. it's, about, it's about 410 miles over eight days. Back to back every day for no, no rest. And you're climbing. Right. Uh, what would that be? 10,000 feet a day. 10,000 feet. It's 10,000. Yeah. It's well, eight to 10,000 feet a day. Yeah. 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 That's, uh... <laughs> and it's also about 80 to 90 degrees in, in Fahrenheit every day on top of that. So you got that going for you. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what they say, Stan, as you probably do know anyways, <laughs> the reason why you're doing these things, follow David Goggins like I do, is like the things that are the most meaningful, the things that are, are hardest, being a dad or a mom, building a business, you know, or doing yep. the Cape Epic. What the heck, right? What the heck? <laughs> and I, I can't wait to see South Africa. It's, I've heard about it. It's supposed to be beautiful. We're taking some time after the race to check it out. It's, you know, I, I, I can't wait for the experience. Yeah, well, um, I definitely want to chat to you when you're back. Let me know how it all goes. Great. Can you, can you follow, can I follow you? How do I follow your... I think so. They, they have us with Beacon, so I think you can actually go to the, regist- to the, the, web, the Cape Epic website. Yeah, and I think we all have to ha- carry a beacon with us. So you can actually see where we are in the course. Awesome, man. Um, yeah. Well, I wish we'll you all the best, man. That's a it's a really tough appreciate thing, man. That. I really wish you all the best. Uh, but more, most importantly, thank you. thank you. So I really appreciate you being here. Uh, you're a cool cat. It was fun. Uh, and uh, all right. chatting to you. Thanks, Dan. Great. Thanks for the time, Matt. Take care.